0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us on one of the 40 radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Today we're going to talk about the industrial market in the U.S. We'll look at manufacturing. We'll look at warehouses. We'll look at flex properties. Uh, We'll share some strategies for business leaders and for investors and for their advisors. We'll also look at how the market's performing and what to expect moving forward. Please welcome my first guest, Ryan Severino. Ryan is Senior Economist with Reese. Ryan, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hello, Michael. Thanks for having me
0: on. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, You always have great information. We appreciate you uh, being on. and Tell us, how did the industrial market perform in the first first quarter, and, and what are the trends there?
1: i 'd say uh, property performance in the first quarter was was solid yet again on the warehouse distribution side. vacancy nationally was down about twenty basis points to about eleven percent uh rent growth was up about four percent for both asking and effective rent and and that's really a continuation of a longer trend we've really seen uh this kind of pattern of declining uh not rapidly declining but slowly declining vacancy and uh, and upward pressure on rents for most of the last few years so it's really the continuation of a longer trend and i'd say the same is true of the warehouse uh, I'm sorry the, the flex R& d space where we saw vacancy down about thirty basis points in the first quarter down to about twelve and a half percent or so uh, rent growth for both asCI effectives was somewhere around half a percent and again it's really the continuation of a longer trend it seems like uh, this is a property type where we have a very durable recovery uh, that's starting to turn into an expansion. I think uh, things generally look pretty good for industrial these days.
0: Well, that's good news for the industrial market and logistics, and I guess the economy in general. So are we back to pre-recession numbers and and performance here?
1: We are getting there. Uh, I would say Cautiously, I would say yes. In terms of uh, where we're starting to see vacancy compression, where we're starting to maybe not so much on the rent growth side. I think rent growth could be uh, a bit better than than where we've seen. But in terms of vacancy movement, we are we are starting to uh, test some of the waters that that we uh, last traversed before the downturn. So I think. Uh, we are definitely seeing strong performance out of uh, out of this property sector right now.
0: Well, that's excellent. So, what should we expect for 2015 and moving forward? Should we see more rate growth and uh, uh, decline in uh, vacancy to continue?
1: I think no, I'm sorry. i say yeah, I absolutely think so. I think mm-hmm. for both warehouse distribution and flex R&D, I think uh, as long as Knockwood, we don't run into some random. Idiosyncratic shock in the economy. There's no reason to think, with GDP growing, with trade recovering, with the job market improving, that we shouldn't see vacancies continue to compress. We shouldn't expect rents to see. We should expect to see rents continue to grow. I would say, um, by the end of the decade, uh, you'll see vacancies for for warehouse distribution. You know, somewhere, you know, well down into the single digits. And uh, maybe high single digits, but definitely down into the single digits and rent growth uh, should be at a healthy pace over the forecast horizon, probably three to three and a half percent per year on um, on the flex r and d side you'll see vacancies um if not actually touch single digits start to approach single digits and and there i I think you'll see rents also probably grow you know on on average somewhere in the three percent range, so I think uh, given the outlook for the economy we have a relatively optimistic outlook for uh, industrial overall
0: okay then I guess it's time to build right
1: <laughs> you know it's funny is that uh, more and more people are having that very thought, and <laughs> we are starting to see uh, construction volumes across the country increasing I would say slow at first but this year into next year we are definitely seeing the construction pipeline really ramping up and, and that makes perfect sense when when vacancies compress to a low enough level and rent growth starts to become attractive enough, it clearly becomes an incentive for people to go out into the marketplace and build. And I would say we are right around that inflection point now where we are seeing an acceleration in construction activity. And even if it capers off into the, to the future after we get through this year and next year, it's definitely an acceleration in construction relative to the downturn.
0: Well, help us put it in perspective, though. It's still uh, going to be a lot lower than we saw uh, pre-recession, right?
1: In terms of construction, uh, construction levels, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's going to be a little while, at least, if we try to approach those levels. I think uh, I think we can get back to what I consider to be more healthy, normalized levels. But there were pockets of activity, um, you know, before the recession where where you know maybe we would not ideally like to see that again. What I think is interesting is that the composition of what's being developed is is a little bit different this time around, and that there's clearly uh, remains this focus on these really large distribution centers that are being primarily used by e-commerce. And that that's a phenomenon that I don't know, um, I don't know if anybody knows where the upper limit is for that. You know, how big is too big or if, if there is such a thing. If economies of scale just keep continuing. And then, you know, what what is considered cutting edge today at 1.5 million square feet is obsolete in a few years when they're looking at 2.5 million square feet.
0: Right. Yeah, it is a crazy market with the online growth, and, and that's one of the factors impacting industrial real estate, uh, Ryan. But what are some of the other factors that are, are creating the, the growth and acceleration in this sector?
1: You know, I'd say, in addition to e commerce, just the overall recovery in the economy has generally been a good thing. That we have seen, uh, you know, we have seen more people going back to work, and that we've seen consumers. Uh, starting to spend a little bit of money again, which obviously generates demand for goods. And from the industrial market's point of view, the industrial market doesn't care so much where the goods need to be stored and distributed from as long as they have to be warehoused uh, at least temporarily somewhere. So I'd say e commerce plus the overall recovery and the economy uh, and the labor market. And I think if you look at, at trade volumes, you know, this hasn't been the most robust uh, recovery for trade coming out of the recession, but it is. Recovering, And so I think all of that bodes well for uh, demand for industrial space going forward.
0: Right. And you mentioned storing these items somewhere. So how is logistics changing? I think, you know, everybody wants to have everything now, right? (laughs) You know, I go online, (laughs) can I get that in an hour? Can somebody drone that over and just drop it on my head? Uh, How is logistics changing uh, with with all this uh, online sales happening?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the push is for... Uh, we, for so, as soon as possible. We, we very much live in an on-demand world, and I think you're seeing that on the part of retailers, whether it's e-commerce-dedicated retailers or, or more conventional bricks-and-mortar retailers. The, the idea is to get it to you as quickly as possible. And so that's a big impetus behind these big centers is that they don't care so much... Uh, about being in the the prime sub-markets, what their concern is that they have large enough land for the footprint of the building and that they have really good access to infrastructure, especially major interstates, to distribute it. So their goal is to just get it to you uh, by the deadline that they promised. I think what's really going to be interesting is as uh, as the FAA relaxes rules on things like drones, that the idea of Drone delivery actually becomes feasible. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case, but um, I, I have heard people talking about that and what are the possibilities when uh, drones are able to distribute goods and, and what does that say for logistics and, and where some of these buildings are physically located. So I think that's something that I don't have a really good or anyone has a really good feel for yet, but certainly something worth watching. What sounds uh, like science fiction often becomes reality. So it, it, we can kind of sit here and chuckle at the idea of drones delivering goods and, and you know, the first half of 2015, but that could become a reality in the not-too-distant future.
0: Yeah, well, my producer James uh, had a drone, I guess it was called a stork, uh, <laughs> dropped the baby <laughs> to him, right? <laughs> uh, well, what about these dis- distribution centers? If, you know, we're trying to get um, items to these big major markets where there's a lot of consumers very quickly, are we gonna s- start seeing more distribution centers closer into the cities, like, like uh, actually in the cities?
1: That's an interesting question. I think there's a very strong thesis to be made for having them locate closer to cities, and I think there are potential sites not that far away, where it's almost like the last solving the last mile problem in other industries, where they could probably secure uh, a decent parcel of land, even if they had to knock down some buildings or do some site work or something like that, uh, and build a distribution center. I, I think that's an intriguing possibility. I'm not I'm not sure that work works in every market necessarily, but I, I've been, you know, been traveling around the country kicking the idea around with some people, and some people think it would be an interesting idea for someone to go in and buy um, kind of an, an old struggling mall and actually turn it into a major distribution center, because you'd have a large enough footprint for the building with not just the land, but obviously the parking um, that you would need at, you know at an old regional mall or something like that, and that to me is an intriguing possibility, because I think, we, as I mentioned, we do live in an on-demand world, and i don 't see that um, really alleviating anytime soon, so I think it's going to be more intense pressure, uh, however distributors can to get these goods to people as quickly as possible, and that, that could certainly be uh, an interesting viable way to do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good use for so some of those uh, dead malls. And uh, and uh, I think we're going to see more of that. Well, stay tuned. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to ask Ryan about the investment market. You know, the industrial investment market has, has really been hot. And uh, it seems like there's a lot of investors, uh, foreign, domestic, uh, funds, REITs, everyone trying to get into the industrial investment market. So we'll ask Uh, Ryan about that. So stay tuned. We'll have more. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about industrial real estate. My guest is Ryan Severino, Senior Economist with Reese. And Ryan, I'd like to ask you about the investment sales market. Are industrial properties, is that a favorite sector with institutional investors today?
1: I would say absolutely. I think whereas institutional maybe used to fly under the radar, and the old mantra was that they're small and it's difficult to cobble together any meaningful scale with them, I think the pendulum is swinging in favor of industrial not just because the fundamentals as we talked about have been improving over the last few years but I think a lot of investors because of the difficulty in, in cobbling together scale are, or at least they tend to be under allocated to industrial and I think with its fortunes improving, I would say investors are increasingly training their sites on industrial looking for um, size when they can get it but even on a smaller scale it, they can be selective about about Doing really good deals. I think the investor community is certainly waking up to uh, the wonder that is industrial these days.
0: Yeah, it does seem like a, a safe sector, doesn't it? I mean, you have long-term leases, you have high credit uh, companies, and then you have the growth of online sales. Right?
1: There isn't a real risk. If anything, the kind of creative disruption from technology commerce is, is benefiting the sector these days. And I think you're right. I think you do tend to see longer-term leases. You don't see as much volatility as you do in, say, the office sector or, uh, or certainly in the hotel sector.
0: And what's that kind of demand doing to to sales volume and cap rates today?
1: You know, sales volume and cap rates are, are, are both looking really healthy. I think, uh, especially given what we saw fourth quarter and the first quarter with some of the really, um, the really big portfolio deals that were announced and, and uh, that went off, you know, Incor and KTR, where you're talking about billions of dollars, you're starting to see uh, you know, serious pressure on pricing now. Uh, you're starting to see uh, pressure on the cap rate side. You know, probably average cap rate these days, you know, somewhere around seven percent or so, and and uh, probably trending downward over the next few years as investor interest in the sector heats up. So I would say uh, the, the the wave of capital that we are seeing into the sector, especially the wave of foreign capital, which we've never really seen uh, at least on this scale in in the industrial sector, is really starting to to not only Change the dynamics of the market, but it's certainly having an impact on pricing right now. We could be looking at potentially this year somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe fifty to seventy um, billion dollars, which is an astounding amount of money uh, that's coming into the sector, and it's and it's coming from from different corners of the globe. Um, but I'd say, especially in in Asia, we've seen a really serious uptick in interest, not just. Uh, obviously, uh, the government of Singapore clearly put a lot of money to work. Um, but even some of the people that I've talk to, been talking to about, uh, and I know we've discussed this before, the wall of Chinese money that is now coming flooding into commercial real estate in general in a way that we haven't seen before. I think they are also uh, training their sites in the industrial sector, that it's not just kind of the stereotypes that you would think of, you know, trophy office buildings and hotels in New York and San Francisco and places like that, I think they're seeing the potential as well for uh, industrial properties. And so I'd I'd say uh, Asia is having a a very strong impact uh, on the marketplace right now.
0: Okay. And if I'm a foreign investor and uh, I can afford any kind of uh, property in any size level, and I was asking you about which sector you would recommend, would industrial be at the top of your list?
1: Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think whereas you know i haven't haven't soured on apartment I think you know uh, with the construction that we're seeing in the apartment sector it's it's going to have a a more challenging four to five years ahead than the previous four to five years, although I think things will be uh will be relatively attractive uh retail and office tend to lag the recovery, so I think we're a little ways away before uh they are uh, what I would consider to be overall a really favorable environment whereas I think industrial is kind of in the middle it's it uh, it didn't uh, rebound as quickly as apartment did, so it's, it's not at, at those latter stages the way apartment is right now, and it's not lagging the way that retail and office are. And I think if you look at the outlook for fundamentals, I think if you look at the capital markets environment, the, the investor interest, uh, it's almost like the perfect storm right now. And I, I do think, uh, at least over the next couple of years, that industrial is poised to take the baton from apartment and kind of run for a little while as the most favored property type in commercial real estate.
0: And, of course, in apartments, uh, you're also having a good bit of new construction uh, that is really ramped up. And I guess from what you were saying earlier, in industrial, you're just not seeing that much new supply yet, right?
1: No, I would say that's the big difference between the two. Whereas in apartments, I think the demand side of the ledger is just fine. We have a lot of young people leasing apartments. But... Not surprisingly, when vacancies are are this low and rents are, are that high, everybody wants to build. We haven't really seen that with industrial just yet. So, whereas industrial has had a pretty good run of things for the last few years, it hasn't served as the catalyst for just you know, the deluge of construction, at least not the way that we're seeing in the apartment sector. So I would say that's probably the big differentiating factor. The Fundamentals in both of those property types, apartment and industrial, uh, are good, but we're just not seeing new development in industrial uh, of the scale that we're, we're seeing in an apartment right now.
0: Right. And I guess you tend to see a little bit less spec as well in industrial than, than you might in, uh, in the other sectors, right? But you're starting to see some spec development in some of the U.S. markets for industrial, aren't you?
1: Yeah, slowly, but I agree with you. It's not a property type where where we tend to see uh, a ton of speculative development. I think the speculative money these days continues to be flooding into the apartment sector. I think I think we're seeing some spec in office and some spec in retail, but not all that much really in industrial yet. And so I think that's one of the things that probably again, even though I do think construction is is ramping up, is maybe keeping construction from getting over its skis the way that it, it, we might see that play out in the, in the apartment sector.
0: Okay, so you expect cap rates in industrial properties to compress slightly moving forward?
1: So. I think so, because I think if you look at the forecast horizon, we expect the economy to be pretty good over the next few years. We expect fundamentals to continue to improve. I think it will be a conducive capital markets environment, even if interest rates start to nudge up, which is you know that's a broader discussion for another time. But I think if you you, you take all of those factors into account, uh, I think it pre- presents a very favorable market environment for you know maybe not the kind of massive cap rate compression that we've seen uh, in the few years since the market started to recover. But I, I think you know kind of flat to slightly downward over the next uh, over the next few years is, is a is a reasonable expectation to have.
0: Okay, and where do you see some opportunities for investors uh, in the industrial sector?
1: You know, I I, I do think, as we just talked about, that there isn't a lot of speculative development. So I think anybody who wants to be out on the risk-return spectrum, I think there are opportunities there, especially in some of those bigger boxes that are being developed. Now, as we uh, discussed earlier, there might be a a time issue there. You know, at what point do these sectors start to fall out of favor or, you know, become obsolete if the market decides to move to even larger centers, you know, 2 million square feet or more. But I think in the short to medium term, for anybody who has has a... fairly good risk tolerance, I think we can't build those centers fast enough. The demand is outstripping the supply right now. And so I think with that being the case, anybody who really um, can, has the capital and wants to get aggressive, uh, and and even for bigger industrial centers, they're not all that expensive to build vis-a-vis the other property types. There's some pretty interesting opportunities there. I would also say kind of at the lower end. Um, you know, smaller stuff, 200,000 square feet or more, where the, you know, we didn't have the, the supply-demand imbalance the way that we've seen for the larger stuff over the last few years, that market is starting to get its legs underneath it a little bit. So I think anybody who uh, wants to be a little bit ahead of the curve and, and take a flyer on a smaller center, I'd say you have to you sharpen your pencil and be careful about the market and sub-market that you're in. Um, but that said, I think there are uh, really good opportunities there for somebody who, uh, who wants to get uh, a little bit aggressive.
0: Well said. I I believe that with the increase in the economy and and businesses start to expand, uh, there's a lot of opportunities in all size industrial properties. Well, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your time.
1: My pleasure. I always enjoy it, Michael.
0: All right. Thanks for your insight. And stay tuned. We're going to talk to a broker on the left coast, (laughs) the west coast, see what's happening in that market on the ground level. So stay tuned. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Boyle, your host. Today we're talking about industrial real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Alan Buchanan. He is with Lee & Associates. He's an active industrial broker in Los Angeles and the West Coast markets. Alan, thanks for joining us today on Skype.
2: I'm honored, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we sure appreciate it. So I'd like to start out with uh, what's, what's happening in the industrial sector out on the West Coast.
2: Well, in a a word, it is extraordinary. Uh, We have seen activity that that frankly has rivaled the peak of 2007 for us. Uh, We're seeing a tremendous amount of lease and sale activity. I have one particular client that I do some national work for and just completed a deal in the Seattle area and the Portland area and then currently working on one in the Phoenix area. And I would say that all four of those West Coast cities, including my Orange County area, are very, very vibrant. uh, Very, very much a seller's and a landlord's market today.
0: So how is that impacting uh, rental rates and occupancy levels in those markets?
2: Give you a real quick example. Um, We had seen lease rates that had not met sell price increases uh, until very recently. I would say in the last six months, we've seen a dramatic increase in lease rates. I just renewed a a client that I did a deal with in 2012. 2012 was sort of uh, our bottom before things really started turning around to the positive. We just renewed his lease at a 30% increase. Mm. And the guy about choked on his hot dog when we told him (laughs) that, but fortunately, uh, it was not as bad as it could have been because frankly, the market, could have uh, dictated up to 50% increase. So we're seeing that uh, anyone that signed a lease in 29, 2010, 2011, 2012, who's coming up for renewal in 2015 is really having a rude awakening.
0: Okay, and how's that impacting new supply? Are you seeing a lot of new construction starting now?
2: You know, we're not, we've seen a bit, but our issue uh, in the infill markets of Orange and Los Angeles counties, we don't have any vacant land. And so our pricing for existing obsolete buildings has not declined to the point where you, it makes sense to to buy them and scrape them and build new.
0: Give us some sample rental rates uh, for your market there.
2: Sure, so if we chose a 100,000 square foot dock high distribution building, 24 to 30 clear, 120 foot truck turning radius, ESFR or ESFR equivalent sprinklers, uh, you're looking at somewhere between 48 triple net and 55 triple net today. And I know you all tar- talk in terms of annual rental rates, but you you can do that math. I've never been that quick.
0: <laughs> That's great. So how's that impacting cap rates in the in those markets? I guess you guys have some of the lowest cap rates for industrial properties in the country, don't you?
2: We do. Uh, for a Class A credit tenant type deal uh, on that 100,000 foot box I just described, our cap rates are approaching four and a half percent. For something that has a little bit more hair on it, you can see cap rates uh, nudging up around six to six and a half percent. But when I say hair on them, that's pretty significant hair. There's uh, some (laughs) functional obsolescence or a dramatically lower than market lease rate or what have you.
0: Okay, and how about uh, the state of California? We hear you guys have uh, lost some larger companies. How's that impacting the market? What's really happening there?
2: You know, we have, and my book of business typically is an owner-occupant between 10 and 100,000 square feet. I have only now started to hear occupants in that size range say they're considering a move out of state. Certainly, you hear about the big employers like Toyota that just relocated, or is in the process, I should say, of relocating to Plano, Texas. Uh, But it's on folks' minds, because our our, our compliance regulations are so difficult here, and we have that old W word out here, and that's not for George W. Bush, that's for water. (laughs) Uh, Water is becoming a big, big issue here, and I'm paying close attention to how that's going to affect common area maintenance charges for tenants and and multi-tenant type projects.
0: And so, is the drought there impacting the market that much, I mean, are some companies maybe deciding to stay away
2: it's it's impacting the market because it limits the amount of new development that can occur. I mentioned Los Angeles, Orange County, very little vacant land, where a vast majority of our new constructions taking place is in the inland areas. And in the inland areas such as Ontario, Rancho Cucamonga, what have you, those are really dramatically affected by uh, new water starts. It's also affected residential construction, which means the existing housing base is becoming more and more expensive.
0: That's uh, interesting. So I guess that's a improved uh, even the smaller buildings in your market.
2: Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we've started to see some some creative landscaping solutions where folks are stripping out grass and shrubs that require water and they're putting in more of the desert southwest look, which frankly I think is pretty neat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Give me some palm trees and cactus, right? Well, stay tuned. We're going to do another segment with Alan. We're going to look at some tips for landlords and investors, and we're going to look at some tenant strategies and tips for your business. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Collier's, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. We have some great shows coming up for you, including a show of interviews from ICSC, the big retail conference in Las Vegas. We also have a show coming up on how to handle the press and public relations. Be sure not to miss a show of special interest to you. Sign up for a a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Today we're talking about industrial real estate. My guest is Alan Buchanan. He's a big producing Uh, industrial broker on the west coast and i'd like to get some tips from you alan about for for tenants i mean if this market's a little tough out there tenants have to have the right strategies uh for their business to to perform in this market don't they
2: you know they absolutely do and and i I really appreciate that question because um up until this year probably 70% of my business was occupant related this year it it switched and and now about 70% of my business is, uh, is owner related. But the pieces of advice that I would give to an occupant today, uh, number one, boy, allow yourself an awful lot of time to figure out what your alternatives are because compliance regulations as we just mentioned, a short supply of, of available inventory, it just takes significantly longer to affect a move if in fact that's your direction now, the second piece of advice I would give is man you need to en- you need to engage great help and that could come in the form of a commercial real estate practitioner hopefully <laughs> or it could come in the form of a of an attorney frankly I like both because we each bring a different skill set to that uh, to that process and the third thing I'd recommend is Take a look at all your alternatives. It may be your desire to relocate, but I would sure not lock yourself into that position. Maybe with a couple of tweaks, maybe you add an office or two, maybe you rework your racking system. You know, Maybe you consider bifurcating your operation where you take a portion of your warehousing, move that offsite, or a portion of your manufacturing, move that offsite, and you make that existing facility work. Because as we all know, even though we move companies for a living, moving sucks i mean it's disruptive it's very cost inefficient and rarely does it ever achieve the sort of efficiencies that you're looking to achieve so those three pieces of advice uh are are really my hallmarks and and if i get an occupant on the line that's that's the conversation that i'm having with them
0: and that's a good those are great tips and i saw if you think you want to stay where you are. You still have to be open and get out early enough to, to have options if you want to have any type of leverage, don't you?
2: Precisely. And a, a lot of our business this year, Michael, has been renewal business, especially with my West Coast client. I mentioned I, I handle their, their business around the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, 100% of our deals with them this year have been renewals, mm-hmm. and what I counsel of folks that want to renew is you have to you have to create the illusion with your owner as though you have alternatives mm-hmm. and as though you are willing to move. And let's face it, at a point you would be willing to move, even though that's not your intention. So you bet. And if that means you have to get in the car and go look at two or three places, if that means you have to solicit a couple of requests for proposal, then you do that because that just simply strengthens. Uh, your leverage with your landlord.
0: That's a great tip. You know, you have to have options um, because you never know what can happen to to your first option, right? Uh, And you gotta be ready for that. Well, let's talk about some tips for landlords in this market. I know it's it's more of a landlord market in all markets, but uh, what are some tips for landlords?
2: Some tips for landlords and and property owners in general. Uh, Today, your property is worth significantly more than you ever dreamed. Mm -hmm. And so if your sale horizon for that building is any time in the next say two to five years, I would seriously consider selling the building today because we don't know how much longer these Eisenhower era interest rates are gonna last. And certainly we know where the pricing is today. And so those coupled uh, create values that we've frankly not seen since 2007. And in many cases we've eclipsed those values so look at selling today if you have any desire over the next two to five years. I think it's a, a good point. Is, I'm well, sorry.
0: I think that's a good point. While these interest yeah. rates are this low and the, the markets is good, especially if you've got the other timings, right? You have enough term left on your lease and that sort of thing. But do you have some more tips for maybe someone that has maybe some aging flex buildings?
2: I do. You know, we're seeing a a huge trend in the the flex world, and specifically in the office world. I mean, you you and I both know folks work differently in office spaces today than they did when you and I started our careers. And as a result of that, the working environment has changed, but frankly, the product has not changed to support that. What I mean by that is there are a lot of aging flex buildings in my marketplace. Buildings were built in the mid '80s because you could get much more for that type of product, and so a, bu- a bunch of them sprung up. But now a lot of them are laying fallow. If there's a if there's one product class in our market that's really uh, has a significant amount of vacancy, it's it's flex buildings. And so what I'm advising a lot of flex owners to do is, you know, tear out that drop ceiling, tear out those big offices, open it up, allow some glass line, allow some light to come in and create some creative spaces, if you will, because that attracts the new millennial office user that is looking for that kind of a work environment.
0: And you coined a phrase on the phone with me, misfit toys, tell us about that.
2: Precisely, right. So that was uh, one of my favorite cartoons growing up as a kid. I mean, I grew up in Arkansas and I was kind of gullible, so I figured all reindeers could fly, right? (laughs) But uh, if 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 you're familiar with a cartoon uh, there was the island of misfit toys where like uh, like the the, the uh, dentist that was an elf and the, the jack-in-the-box that screamed or whatever the case may be. But there are a lot of misfit toys in our market that ultimately can find a home if you can just figure out a creative way to repurpose the space.
0: Yeah, those are great tips. Well, Alan, thanks for joining us on Skype today. We appreciate you being with us.
2: It was my privilege and my honor and uh, my best to you and downtown Atlanta.
0: All right. Thank you. And as Alan mentioned, it might be a time to sell. And even if you use your property for your business, next we'll talk about sell leasebacks and some of the benefits and strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit commercialrealestateshow.com or call 888 612 SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking about the industrial real estate market. Please welcome my next guest, Bryant Dromey. Bryant has been in industrial real estate business for over 10 years. He recently joined the National Industrial Group at Bull Realty. Bryant, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Well, you appreciate it. Well, Bryant, as we've heard, the investment market for industrial properties is, is red hot. Uh, the single-tenant net lease market is red hot. While interest rates are low, a lot of owners of industrial properties are considering this as a good time to consider selling. And then even owners of industrial properties that use it for their business, a lot of them are unlocking the equity and unleashing that to, to reinvest in their business and selling those, um, those properties on a sale leaseback. What are some of the advantages of a sale leaseback?
3: Well, there, there are several advantages to a sale leaseback, but like you mentioned, the, the biggest one is being able to unlock the equity that they have in their property and um, turn that into cash. And uh, that enables them to reinvest back into their business. Uh, they can also clean up their balance sheet and get the debt off of their balance sheet. and. Uh, uh, improve their financial ratios if, in case they decide to uh, borrow in the future. Uh, there's also tax advantages. Uh, they get to write off 100% of their lease payments, whereas if they have a note on their property, they're only really able to write off the uh, the interest on the uh, on the note. Uh, the flexibility also of just being able to move out after the lease term is over is a huge advantage uh, for these companies because uh, you know if they're stuck in the building and they can't sell it. Uh, then that that uh, is a disadvantage to them. So being able yeah. to, to move out quickly is, is a big is a yeah, advantage. That flexibility
0: is a, is a key point you've made there. I like that because if at the end of the 10 years and you've done a sell lease back and it's better for you to move on somewhere else, you, know, you just move, you're done. You've already sold the property, right? That's right. But if you, if you need to move in 10 years and you haven't done that, now you've got a vacant building you're trying to sell. <laughs> vacant buildings hard to sell, Leased buildings with a 10 or 20 year lease That's are pretty right. easy to sell. That's right? exactly right. What about valuation? So, if I own a business and I own the facility, the real estate, and I want to do a sell lease back, what are some of the key aspects to, of the value? How much I'm going to get from my property?
3: Well, at the end of the day, uh, Michael, it's all about the income stream. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, these buyers are going to look at a lot of variables, but uh, here uh, just a few of them would be uh, the you know the higher the rent, the more the, the, the uh, seller or t- future tenant's willing to pay, the more they're going to be able to get for their property. Uh, also, the length of term. I mean, the the longer the term that they have on the property, uh, as far as encumbering it, the uh, more value they're going to add to the to the uh, uh, property too and uh, the credit worthiness of the tenant you know the stronger the credit uh, tenant that's in the property the uh, the, the more money they're going to be able to uh, demand for the property as well um, so you know, an example of that would be uh, you know a fedex or a ups uh, they're going to probably be able to, to uh, demand the most for their properties mm-hmm. um, and then you just look at the overall facility itself Uh, they're going to look at the uh, the, the building in good repair, the location, the type of building, those types of things. Okay and they're also going to look at the escalations uh, in the uh, lease as well, right? That's correct. Uh, Escalations are a big part of that because Mm -hmm. as the as the property uh, comes, uh, you know, it matures through the lease, um, you know, if the more escalations, the higher value. That's also going to bring for the property.
0: Right. So if you've got a 20 year lease, obviously you're going to get a lot more for your property than if you have a 15 or a 10 or a five. Right. That's exactly and right. And then if you're a a really high credit tenant, then you, then you're going to get more for your property. But let's say that you're a local tenant. You've got a you've got great great credit. Maybe you've got a couple locations, but there's some other ways to uh, maybe provide that lease more safety, right? Maybe a personal guarantee from the partners? Absolutely,
3: there's always the the opportunity to provide a personal guarantee Mm -hmm. if uh, if the tenant itself is just a a local company or even regional for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, That can definitely help improve the value. All right. Well, Brian, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's a great market. And if you're considering doing a sell lease back, there are a lot of variables and we just covered uh, some of the key ones, but it can certainly be a great way to unlock equity while interest rates are low and create the flexibility you need. Well, thanks for joining us this week. Be sure and join us next week. We're going to talk about the press and about PR. So if you're a developer, a real estate company, whatever, there's some right and wrong ways to handle the press. We'll share them with you. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. RealNex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R E A L N E X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts,
2: or articles, visit cre